He's expecting my call. This is Jerry. Jerry? Is this yes. the Jerry? Is this the correct Jerry? Is this the Jerry Lambert who works is, for two old hippie, hippies? <laughs> yeah, I'm the honorary third old hippie. <laughs> well, this is Jason Chapman along with John Chapman. I think you're familiar with him. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm vaguely familiar with John. <laughs> <laughs> I no, bet you once too, also. No, I'm not ordering another guitar right now. <laughs> no, well, no then, orders. This, this conversation is over. All right. Well, there uh, you go. Before you hang up, <laughs> I, have a, I have a question for you. Sure. Do you want to be on a podcast? Sure. Yeah. Do you know how yeah, to talk about stuff? What do, what do I have to do? Do I do a song and dance? Handbone? What do I do? Handbone. Um, wear something nice and uh, buy me dinner. Well. Uh, <laughs> I can. I can do the nice thing. I, I, I tell you. I tell you what. I have a leftover Red Lobster gift card. I think there's about seven dollars eighty-five cents left on. All we, all we can eat cheddar have. biscuits. I'm down. Let's go. <laughs> all right. It's a date. <laughs> You're done. All right. We'll see you, Jerry. You got it, buddy. Thanks. Bye. Make me a wink, cause I can be the wink. Let somebody while I'm going on. We're back again. Uh, another week of podcasting has happened. Is that what we're doing here? I thought we just another week. Yeah. I thought when we have our conversations, we always have. Here to we are microphone. with another week <laughs> podcast. <laughs> this is, is the weakest podcast. No, <laughs> no. We're excited about uh, this week, but before that, um, Jeremy, what have you been doing? Growing a mustache. Yeah, that I takes don't... a lot of effort. Thank you. It's taking a lot of like. I have to keep putting protein in. It's, I, I said this last week, I think, and I think it's true. I think you're growing hair slower. I think you're malnourished. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know what I like? Uh, I've been watching some of the comments on the YouTubes, and uh, they're now bringing up the uh, as like part of his because he's made it such a a. a facet of his life now what i like is there's videos that came out we you know we don't release everything in order you know lives record before things. yeah exactly well edited videos well and then also there's some things that get put ahead of you know priorities and back time. and forth yeah. release frames and, and you know product releases and all that but we'll get something from months ago where jeremy didn't have that awful monstrosity on his face <laughs> and they'll go what did they pick on you enough to get rid of it uh, or this week surprise how quick it grows back next I saw, week i saw this this week's uh video which he was just getting it started I think and, and it's like oh I really like that and then somebody else says why don't you just go ahead and grow a beard <laughs> people don't understand you gotta be unique whatever it's your work choice for Tom Selleck did it yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the way do we need Different to talk time. about the fact that his uh, right now it's crooked yeah my right one's a little lower than the left just turn your head a little bit Clean. I think I was when I, I shaved it this way there you He's go there. you gotta get a level in there and just Guys, it's a little more maintenance than a beard and stuff. <laughs> anyway, yes. we've talked about that enough. Um, you brought it up. I don't think anybody's talked about it enough because <laughs> it doesn't change. Still we still have to address it until it's fixed. Anyway. No, I don't understand. Personally, though, everything's okay. Yeah, I, I built Is a that retaining wall in my backyard that killed me. Yeah, well. It was like a really hot in Missouri, and kids wanted an outdoor pool, and my yard is... It slopes about 20 inches, yeah, so I had to build a block wall. That's a fairly significant slope. I yeah, know, 320 blocks. <laughs> <laughs> Big. 
You know what I'd have said? Uh, kids, uh, I know you want to swim, but uh, well, the problem is I Daddy's bought the pool rich. first. They had a, a <laughs> Costco like a really good sale on a pool, so I bought it thinking my yard wasn't that slope. And that's a poor planning. It wasn't so cheap, was it? Poor planning on Jeremy's part. <laughs> Anyway, we'll see what, what you're supposed to do is sit in the front yard with a beer and a hose and time to come Sprinkler. out. I'll give you your pool. <laughs> yeah. Kitty pool. What's the matter with you anyway? Anyway. Well, I'm you guys you doing all right? Hard. You guys I'm I'm all right fine. Fine. You ripped out a bathroom out of yours. That's yeah. crazy. I saw pictures of I'm it. I'm sure our viewers and listeners are so excited to hear about our home projects. Is this a home project store? Yeah. Uh, the new now? switch up with the acoustic <laughs> shop knows how to uh, remodel walls and remodel. Can we, can we actually put it more? The acoustic shop uh, guys are too cheap to hire people to do jobs that they know how to do. And instead, we just go, I think I can do that. No, I'm definitely getting there. <laughs> I don't care about the money now. I'm thinking every time I'd sit down and do do tile work, I think, um, uh, this is not worth investing <laughs> You guys, my knees hurt a lot. Yeah. I, I replaced a floor myself this weekend, and uh, my knees hurt. <laughs> Counting every dollar every time I lay a tile on it. Mm. Just waiting for this podcast to take off so we can exactly. just have uh, that's what I'm. That's what I'm here for. So here's my real question. Are your wives uh, like mine where they go, you can do that, and you're like, no, we should hire somebody. So, that's too much money. You could do that. <laughs> that's the no. way my wife does it. <laughs> I normally just do that myself. I just say, I can do that. Um, I should do that. And then three years later, I'll say, I'll do that. Then I'll do it <laughs> and then not finish it because I don't want to do it <laughs> until I forget. And it's three years later, and I think, well, I could probably pull it off. And then I try to do it, and then I, it's a three-year cycle of me forgetting how much I hate uh, remodeling, reworking things. <laughs> you got to psych yourself up. Exactly. Anyway, guys, we're back for another reason together, and it's not to talk about our remodeling projects. It's the only time I get to hear about it. The so. Acoustic Shop Knows People is a hit. It's huge out there right now. That's what I hear. I hear, I think I got contacted by the Wall Street Times Journal. Wall Street Times Journal. From New York. <laughs> and they wanted a, a quote on the show, and I said, it's very good. <laughs> and... We get people that we know on the show, and we've, we've talked to a few people we know so far, including this next guest. I'm yeah. not sure who it is. I don't know him myself, but... <laughs> this guy's actually a, a great guy and a true friend, and I mean that. Um, he has become uh, a mentor, a uh, friend, and a, a knowledgeable guy yeah. that, that is fun to be around. Industry knowledge. He's yeah. done everything from being a musician to a rep to a manager to leading large companies uh, in this industry, Mr. Jerry Lambert. Um, and we're going to have him on the podcast. That's yeah. what we're going to do. We're going to talk He's to him. He's got a storied history. What? We Storied. Hey, guys. We know Jerry Lambert. John, since he's your friend. <laughs> Nobody else wants to talk to me. Is that what I, I mean? I guess, uh, John, since he's your friend, please introduce him. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this guy uh, has come into our lives over the last uh, four or five years now. And somehow he has managed to not make me to a point where I don't want to discuss anything with him. I actually call him quite often, and he's become a really probably good Probably the other way around, that he's the one that keeps yeah, that, taking your calls. Hey, that's, that's my cross to bear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this guy still takes my call. Realistically, we've considered him a uh, older brother, um, and by older, I mean much. Much older brother. <laughs> much older brother. <laughs> wiser. I think it's wiser. It's a wiser. You know, you're like a, like a great uncle. I'm a great brother. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> now we're glad to have uh, Jerry Lambert on the podcast today. 
Dre. Uh, Dre has been in the music industry for uh, eons, if not uh, centuries. <laughs> this guy has done a lot of things in the music industry, yeah. from uh, being a musician to being a rep to being uh, a salesman. Uh, a lot of different large brands in, in the industry he has been a part of and a lot of experience and actually been a great mentor for us yeah. in our business. Um, oh, so we wanted to that. talk to, to Jerry today and uh, pick his brain about things. Jerry, what is your official title right now? I know you work for the Two Old Hippies Company. What is your official title? Uh, my official title would be Director of Sales. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's not just nationwide. That's global. Oh, well, this global. guy is a oh, global. Can you put that in the yeah. business card? Will that fit? Yeah. Let's go back in time. Can we yes. rewind? Can we make a rewinding sound? Let's do it. Jerry, how did you first pick up your first instrument? What was that uh, catalyst to make you decide, I want to play music? And what was that instrument? Uh, well, it was guitar. It was the uh, Beatles' first appearance on uh, Ed Sullivan's show. I was 11 years old, and um, I never saw anything like it. My dad was a guitar player, really? so we always had guitar. He had, in fact, he had an old L1 laying around, old Gibson L1, and uh, that's what I uh, started playing on. In fact, uh, he showed me the first tunes that I ever learned, and the very first song I learned to play was Bury Me Beneath the Willow. Hmm. So, That's far but, from uh, the, it was Beatles, the Beatles. So. It, was, it was the Beatles that got me into it. Oh, uh, did you have a? Uh, were you a long-haired hippie at that point with the uh, mop haircut? And oh, I had hair down to my waist at one point in time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting <laughs> that that one seminal appearance by the Beatles on Ed Sullivan was the catalyst to make the biggest boom in guitar history. I think that finally maybe got caught up with COVID was the second biggest boom. <laughs> but yeah, I, I know that you know guitars were kind of a uh, a lot of music stores. That was kind of a side uh, product to have. There's a lot of pianos and organs and that sort of thing. But the Beatles' appearance on there also the guitar became an instrument that every kid wanted to have. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I remember um, that would have been I, I would have been in seventh grade uh, the year the Beatles happened and um you know nobody nobody really played guitar by the next year everybody was in a band <laughs> and uh i was told at that point in time i should learn to play bass because it's the easiest i agree with that's that why, by the way i think that's why jason's a bass player <laughs> <laughs> i just want to know why people were telling you this after your guitar experience uh yeah i want to consider bass it's yeah <laughs> The Acoustic Shop Knows People is brought to you by, guess what guys, The Acoustic Who? Shop. The Acoustic Shop? Oh, Hi, look at this, picture this guys. You are booked to play the reception for a famous politician's daughter's wedding. And pretty soon it dawns on you, I don't know how to play the guitar and I don't even know a guitar. That is a pretty guys, big dawning. Don't worry, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> we got you covered at The Acoustic Shop. All you gotta do, we have a large selection of acoustic guitars from beginner to professional level. We've got all the accessories you're gonna need. We've got instruction to get you started on that song from Twilight that the bride requested, of course. Of course and she did. You know what you're talking about, guys. <laughs> all right, go to theacousticshop.com or visit us in Springfield, Missouri. We'll hook you up and pretty soon you're gonna be Team Bella all the way. Yeah, Team Bella. All the way. And then, how did you go from Beatles inspiration to bluegrass? 
Well, like I said, my dad was a guitar player, and uh, he 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 was a he was a country guy, and uh, you know he didn't he didn't really play bluegrass. Hank Williams was his thing. Dang right. I mean, so I know all the old Hank tunes, all the old Jim Reeves stuff. Mm. You know, I backed him up on all that. Um, but in 1968, 69, uh, I went to visit my uncle uh, who lived uh, in Springfield, Virginia, Jack Cantrell. And uh, Jack had um, started taking banjo lessons from, of all people, Eddie Adcock. I love Eddie. <laughs> Imagine that. And, um, and I just, the, the sound of that banjo, um, even though Jack never really became a great player, just to hear him play those roles up close and personal was the first real experience, real exposure I had to somebody playing banjo. And, um, I said, well, I think I can do that. And, uh, so I went out and bought, I think the first one I bought was an Alvarez Denver bell. I remember those. We had one in here. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I wish I still had that. I mean, of course there's a lot of things I wish I still <laughs> <Yeah>. had, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I never really, well, there wasn't really anybody to take lessons from back in those days. Uh, I, w I was in Columbus, Ohio, and there was some really killer banjo players around. I mean, John Hickman was in town at the time. That's awesome. Uh, Sandy Rothman. I mean, big-time names, but they weren't teaching. So what I would do is go to festivals, uh, and I'd make a pest of myself. How do you do that? How do you do that? And... Um, Finally, they knew I wasn't going to go away, so they started showing me some things. <laughs> and, and I kept that in mind. So the guys who, 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 were, who treated me well and, and would teach me, I tried to emulate that through, through the rest of my life. As I got to be a better player, as I got to be better known, I would try to uh, help everybody as I went along. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you, you need to share. Well, I think that was something that we all experienced, too, as kids. It was a big deal for us. Man, I had an experience um, with some fiddle players that uh, when I was learning to play that were kind, and I had some that were not so kind. And right. the ones that did, it was just like it was a game changer for me as a player. It made me want to do and, – and not only that – I became extreme fans of those people. I mean, I was just in all the way. And, Absolutely. And I wanted to, you know, when they would show me things, it was just like, man, this is the greatest thing. And I heard so many stories of players who didn't share the things that they, you know, that people would ask them about. So when we got older, it was the same thing. It's like, man, I have no secrets. There's nothing here that is not, you know, easily found out by somebody uh, or that it wasn't given to you by someone else. Or yeah. Or it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know? And, right. uh, so it's, it, that's an important thing to do. I think everybody who you've got a skill and somebody's interested in it, show them. I mean, this is, there's so, there's only so many things that we can all be passionate about in our lives and to make sure that you can, you know, help somebody to stay passionate about something. I think that's very right. important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. That's very cool. So who was your, uh, you said Eddie Adcock got you fired. When you got into banjo, what was your, like, this is who I want to play like. This is who Earl. it was. Earl. 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 Yeah. Always Earl. Always Earl. That's right. Yeah. Every banjo ha player has nothing yeah. else then, to say but then, Earl. <laughs> and then J.D. Crow. Of course. And uh, my my absolute favorite of all time is still Alan Mundy. Oh, yeah. Alan lives here in town. We see him quite often. Yep. That's yeah. what I hear. Yeah. So you know, in fact, uh, uh, for years, I 
uh, I, I would play Deputy Dalton at every every show. And I haven't heard that tune in forever. That's a great tune. I know, I know. And, and talk exactly exemplifies what you guys mm-hmm. were just talking about, where he is open to share anything that he knows. Like there is no secret for Alan. He will sit down and show you note for note what he played. He'll uh, and he's very articulate of being i mean he's had all that experience teaching down at the college he's great where teacher. he will be able to explain a lot of the theory behind it and just so giving of his time yeah. uh, and all the things that he's learned without getting off on too much of a tangent uh his his, his version of beat the heat that old sneaky peak uh tune i just that still just blows me away yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. he comes up with the coolest ideas very very Inspirational, absolutely. So here comes Jerry. He's his banjo playing uh, phenom. He's taking over the world. You start playing festivals, doing all this kind of stuff. Uh, now what? Well, you, you also have to remember, I'm a guitar player. My main thing in those days was I was trying to make a living too, so I was playing a lot of guitar. Gotcha. And I wasn't playing uh, much bluegrass in those days. I was. Uh, I played a lot of bluegrass, and I would do jam sessions and go to festivals but what uh what paid the bills was playing country bands blues bands rock bands uh top 40 bands in fact somewhere there is a picture of me wearing a uh a three-piece white suit uh in the uh the john travolta days of course there is Big of course old i believe i believe it was taken last week yeah, exactly. <laughs> it pretends like it's not in that closet that's right behind him <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, he slides across the floor. <laughs> you're not supposed to tell people that. So disco fever. So you're playing a lot of music, different kinds of music, in that end of it. When did the business side of it go? When when were you first associated with a company? Or? I think it was 1975. Uh, I went to work in a, a music store called Chuck Daly's Guitar Center. Chuck Daly was a pretty well-known guitar player in the Columbus, Ohio area. In fact, he's still there. He's still doing uh, still doing gigs. He's mostly playing, uh, uh, doing recordings of uh, background and easy listening music. He's pretty well-known. But anyway, he had a, a guitar store. And in those days, he had about 700 students a week coming through. Hmm. And uh, it was packed. And um, a small retail op- operation. So I started there as a banjo teacher because there weren't a lot of banjo teachers. And um, that was one of those things where I uh, learned while I earned because I had no idea how to teach banjo. Um, so I taught banjo and guitar there for a couple of years and uh, did a little retail sales there and uh, moved on from there to uh, other stores, other bands. And in 1984, I think it was, I, I went to work at a store in Mansfield, Ohio called Metronome Music. And uh, still there. I was say, I know Been there for over sixty years. And uh, Larry Miller is the owner. And Larry, I, I would say Larry is my musical or my in- industry father. He taught me everything I know about the business. Cool. Uh, how how to uh, absolutely everything. How to treet people. How to run a business. Now we know who to blame. <laughs> he's the one to blame anyway larry's still there larry's still still active in the business doing great and uh anyway i became the uh manager of the store uh within a year wow. and uh did that for four years and then uh gibson came calling because we would we had done quite a bit with uh, the gibson company in those days and i left in 88 late 88 early 89 and went to work for gibson as a rep 
and I covered northern Ohio and Michigan. Wow. So I'm curious how much the and I think it in my limited experience that the road rep experience has changed quite a bit from what it was in that period where there's a lot more traveling reps that would go from store to store uh, bringing samples and you know more of that style where now it's a yeah, lot more you know, taking orders and it's it's funny it's funny you mentioned that because I was traveling with one of my reps last year in fact your rep I traveled with uh, your rep yeah, last by the week. way I call up Jerry uh, four days ago and the first thing I can hear in the background is uh, John Cluter's laugh because uh, he goes are your ears burning and I just hear this Cluter laugh and I just go all right I got two of them on the phone at the same <laughs> time just what I needed anyway <laughs> yeah but yeah there there are some um, there are some uh, similarities the big one is that the guy who goes out and travels and carries in samples and has that one-on-one relationship with the dealer still gets orders. It's typically the one who wins yeah. <laughs> because this is after all a relationship business. It's still the music industry, regardless of whether it's a business or not. We're still in music. It's still fun. Yep. You still want to be face to face with people. I'm going to be full on uh, straight, honest. And I told this to Jerry. I've told this to John. Uh, I, can guarantee you that the the reps that I deal with on a regular basis that come in this store and want to talk about what we do as well as what the company that they're representing does and we have that communication on a regular basis, they get five times as many orders as these companies that don't. And and I'm not even going to say it because, uh, you know, that – it's just because they're favorable and all that kind of stuff. It's not that. It's mm-hmm. that we have a relationship now. They're able to help me to do what I do better, and they're and I'm able to help them do what, and we can be able to to work things out as opposed to the guy who just walks in and goes, "I got quotas to meet, and here's a couple things that I think you guys need to have, and why haven't you been calling me?" You know, it's like sure, I, it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. I'm surprised at how many of our reps. The only time we see them is at the Nam show. Like a lot of times, we still think there's value in going to the NAMM show because some of these guys we don't see in person unless we're there. Um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with technology. Sure. Because it's so easy, like right now, we're doing this. Um, you know, our, during, during the COVID thing, we did a lot of Zoom calls. And some guys just haven't gotten out of that habit. But just because you have the ability to meet somebody or to, to, to uh Interface with somebody electronically is not the same thing as that one-on-one person-to-person uh, contact. There's there's really no energy in what we're doing here uh, in terms of uh, face-to-face. You know, it's that kinetic energy you 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 have between two people when you're when you're standing there next to each other. Sure, that really matters. So, going back to your Gibson repping days, are there any things that you learned as your first big uh, brand representation? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you had to, um, well, well, there there was a lot to learn because I was pretty green at it. And in those days, um, it was still the Wild West as far as Gibson because Henry and Dave had literally just bought the company. Um, And so there wasn't a whole lot of training going on. And it was a sink or swim (laughs) uh, situation. You could either do it or you didn't. If you did it, you could stay. If you didn't, you had to go. What was the hot seller for Gibson at that time? Les Pauls. Les Pauls. That's still yeah. like the hot seller. Yeah, that was right before. That was right before the about a year or so before the the um, 
the uh, acoustic factory in Bozeman got up and rolling full speed. And the, um, the cool thing is, around that time, Gibson was also putting out banjos galore. They were like the the banjo company. Mandolins obviously were a pretty big thing. Those the banjos have for sure gone away. But did that help you having some experience, or were banjos in demand at all? Yeah, the, they they were. The, the banjo production was pretty low in those days. Um, you know, I, actually, I was still they, they were still doing um, flight iron banjos and mandolins at that time. Because Steve Carlson had owned uh, owned that factory for Flatiron, and Gibson had bought it and started producing banjos and uh, mandolins there, as well as guitars. That that all helped because I I, I could speak the language. I could speak the language of uh, acoustic guitars because I was a guitar acoustic guitar player, bluegrass player, country player. Uh, I could speak because I played blues, rock, you name it. I could speak the language of electric guitars, and <laughs> because I was a banjo player, I could speak that language, even though I had to speak it a lot slower. <laughs> so. I always twice. love when banjo players do their own banjo jokes, by the way. Yeah, it's kind of sad. <laughs> it is kind of sad a little bit. <laughs> well, you know what the banjo, you know what the banjo player got on his IQ test, don't you? No. Go ahead. Drool. Uh, Drool. Of course. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that one. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, oh, didn't you write? You wrote that one, didn't you, Jeremy? Jeremy Wright writes everything. In case uh, you don't know, <laughs> yeah. we'll get to that here in a Pretty minute. Um, so, Jerry goes through as a sales rep. Uh, where do we move to next? Well, I I, I was with Gibson for uh, several years, and then um, Ibanez came calling, and uh, there was a territory open, and uh, so I I thought I'd, it was it was a little larger territory, and um, you know, it seemed like a really vibrant company. Is this post uh, Japanese Ibanez? This is uh... well, it was it was both. They were still they were still doing a lot of the uh, the Fujigen things, the uh, the the gems, the uh, Joe Satriani guitars, sure. and all that. It was a great experience. It's a good company to work for. They're still they're still going strong. Sure. It's, it's a great company. Uh, and then uh, in '96, Gibson uh, offered me a job as a regional manager. And um, so I, I, I was kind of burnt out on the repping thing at that point in Makes time. Sense. It's a lot of work. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of work. Plus, you know, I wanted to I wanted to see how I how I could do and uh, help and manage other guys. And um, I did it well enough that the next thing I know, I was uh, VP of Sales at Gibson for three years. Wow. And that is, uh, and what what era was that, by the way? Just out of curiosity, that would have been uh, ninety eight to two thousand one. Okay, so uh, at this point, <clears throat> I'm starting to see this is about the time period. Well, a little bit before that, it would have been before that, is when I started working for the Old Town Picking Parlor and starting to deal with uh, one of our mutual friends as a Gibson rep. Uh, was he still a rep there, Larry Barnwell? Uh, well, Larry actually left in uh, 2000, 99, 2000, something like that, yeah. and uh, went to work for Martin, just retired. Yeah, sure enough. Just retired for Martin last well, year. I had met Larry as a Gibson rep, and boy, I'm here to tell you, Larry never got more grief than the owner of the Old Town Picking Parlor, which is where I learned most of my stuff from there. Uh, and you were part of this. Uh, you knew the system, so you know what I'm saying is, is true. There was some ups and downs in the Gibson company at that, at that particular time. <laughs> there were it was it was that we had a lot of growing pains obviously i mean it was you know 
it was still fairly uh, still fairly new company. You got to remember when you were doing that, it was still barely more than 10 years old from the new ownership and new management. Sure. And everybody was trying to figure out what it was. Here's this guy that's changing that marketing and all this kind of stuff. There's these new models. What I was dealing with uh, or seeing, and again, I was about, uh, I don't know, 15, 16, something like that, 17 years old, was learning uh, all these different, you know, how these companies work and how, you know, and it was banjos, acoustic guitars. We didn't do any electric things at all. And uh, of course, mandolin. And at that time period, I think the F5G had just come out. Uh, that was a kind of a cool thing for the mandolin world. And, uh, and then we had some uh, stuff like the Gibson Gospel guitar and some of the flat. Because that flat top division was totally new and being redone, correct? Yeah, you know, um, there, there, were, there were, they had some challenges, let's put it that way. Thankfully, they got they got past. Yeah, it. no, I'm I'm not doing it to beat up on anybody or anything. It was no, I, and I'm not either. I just I just don't want to mention sure. their names. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to not do that. We'll throw in a few for you. Yeah, no, it, it was a, because of the fact that uh, you know up until then Gibson. Here's the hard part about Gibson. Those who have not followed Gibson, it has gone through so many different. Cha- it's one of the oldest companies, isn't it? Is it not the oldest American? I think string? Martin still beats them. Okay, no, Martin's okay. older. But either either way, it's a very old company. It's been building uh, guitars, and there has been so much turbulence in that company throughout. Anybody who does any research, this is not top secret information here. And and when they get redone. Even now, we got a whole new turbulent section of Gibson, and everybody who's following Gibson is going, uh, all right, so this is kind of par for the course. Anybody who's been in the in the business for any period of time knows this is going to have these cycles of weirdness that happens, and companies bringing in new uh, presidents and CEOs and trying to figure out how to do it. I think sure. that's any company, though, honestly. That's any, any, yeah, absolutely any company. That's not... That's not unique. No, even Martin right now, even though they moved on to a new CEO, most things are still the same. They're still trying to figure out how this transition. And you got Chris Martin, who's still sticking around and doing stuff. And it's an interesting time, you know, for all of those companies uh, as people move on. And I assume, you know, we're only seeing we've only been business 10 years now. So we're only seeing a small bit of that. I'm betting there's been many, many instances of this kind of stuff happening. I, I got a question. As the uh, VP of sales for Gibson, can you explain their serialization <laughs> system? <laughs> they, have this, they have this big wheel that they would spin. It's the hardest company in history to find what year this this instrument was made. Because and I think it's maybe with every new owner, they just decided we're going to change the entire serialization over. system. Reset. Come up with a new number out of a hat. <laughs> buy the book. Buy just buy the book and it trace the serial number. But that even way. if you I have mean, the book, you 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 still have a large chance of failing. Yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> if, it, like if, if it has this logo, then it might be from this year, and then you track the serial number this way. But if it's using the other logo with a red label. <laughs> It's just the way things happen. <laughs> just out of, after a hundred years, you think they'd figure out a system? Just just put them in sequence or something. 
Follow the Martin Mall. You know, like maybe start with one, go to two, go to three. <laughs> I like this. I like, uh, here's another fun uh, era. While you were there, I know that you were working with another very, very colorful character uh, by the name of Greg Rich, uh, who was uh, oh, yeah. part of the uh, Gibson Custom Shop. He was doing bandages, but he was also, was he running Gibson Custom Shop or just? Yeah, he was basically the custom shop. Uh, Jim Triggs was there at Triggs, the time. Yeah, too. that's right. Uh, both very colorful individuals. Uh, yeah, that's put it mildly in those days. They're, they're artistic. <laughs> they were indeed colorful. <laughs> I've seen pictures recently. I don't know if you guys have of of, of John Triggs and uh, and Greg Rich getting together. I think it was recently at a festival, and it was like they were both trying to outdo each other with the wildest outfits uh, possible to humankind. I imagine they would be an HR nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, that goes without saying. Um, but uh, yeah, they they turned out some great stuff, though. I, and not just uh, not just the banjos that uh, Greg built. I'm sure you've all seen the uh, the Michael Jackson Disney World banjo that he did, <laughs> or um, the flat strugs all all inlaid marquetry. Mm-hmm. Um, that one's real cool. But the, the, the he would also do these oddball things. Uh, in those days, I did a lot of guitar shows, yeah. and uh, one of the things that, that we came up with was a uh, a series of Acoustic L5s in bowling in uh, Brunswick bowling ball colors <laughs> with Tr- with Trini Lopez diamond F holes and inlay. And why not? <laughs> they with with perloid appointments. They sold great. He, he's very. You know, I would take those to guitar shows, and they would they would they would go. He's very talented, artistic. Uh, I mean, his his engraving on banjos. You got one of his custom recording kings, don't you? In a custom color. I do. Yeah. I got uh, I got the green yeah, thing. The green thing. By the way, that is actually what is called yeah. the green mm-hmm. thing. Because it's very green. <laughs> yeah, we, we were talking about it one day on the phone because we stay in, we still stay in touch. Um, I talk to him several times a year. And um, at Breedlove, we had just come out with a, uh, a limited run in uh, Celtic green. And I said, and I was talking to Greg one day and I said, you know, I always wanted a green banjo. And he said, well, let's build one. So uh, I think he's posted it on yeah. Facebook several times. And um, but but the picture you need to see is of Greg holding that banjo wearing his Grinch coat, <laughs> which, of course, he has. Of course, he has. The guy also puts many yeah. pictures of himself up in Mummer uh, costumes. And uh, he's just I also saw he recently put up a, uh, a post of collections of a lot of his Gibson custom stuff. There was a lot of Les Pauls. Uh, some of it had some of that uh, 80s, 90s uh, decoration uh, artwork that was really popular in bachelor pads throughout uh, the uh, early early 90s. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very unique. Uh, he just keeps coming up with crazy stuff. I just, like you said, I don't know how anybody tames him enough to get, uh, pro- but he comes up with great ideas and he still does and, and goes at them. And what's, yeah. I think amazing about him also is it's not, you know, he's a custom shop kind of guy, but he also does most all of that uh, custom work. I was talking to somebody, you know, in his current job uh, that was like, yeah, he's building those new banjos and they have that glitter uh, binding that goes down through there. 
And he says, he, you go in the office and it just reeks of, of uh, super glue fumes because he's sitting there making that glitter binding that they would make for those old style six banjos. Yeah. And he's just making it at his desk just out of nowhere, you know. <laughs> his engraving is second to none. I mean, uh, the, the stuff, you know. He is so good at it that he can have a conversation with you while he's doing it. That's crazy. And look at you while he's doing it. That's wild. <laughs> Talk about muscle memory. Now we're we're in this Gibson world, head of sales. Uh, now what? Well, I, I, when I left Gibson, um, I went to uh, Korg for a couple of years. And um, that was uh, during 9-1-1. And we were inside the Beltway and we decided we wanted to move back to Ohio, which we did. And then uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, who had actually hired me at Gibson um, had gone to work for U.S. Music as the VP of sales for Washburn. And uh, he needed help. So I went to work there and I stayed there forever. It was a, it was <laughs> a good game. paying him, but he just kept hanging around. <laughs> George Costanza. <laughs> They, they looked around. I was still there, and they said, well, what, maybe, you know, the guy can't handle a broom. Let's put him out on the road. So, actually, I stayed there through uh, 2017, uh, even after the acquisition by KMC. And, uh, you know, I had a great time, um, and I decided I was I, I was retired. My wife uh, was a school teacher. And she was retiring, so I thought, well, we're both going to do this. So I stayed on with uh, KMC as a consultant, you know, just working part-time and uh, doing some traveling with my wife. We did a lot of traveling. We went to Alaska, went to Thailand. We were having a great time. And uh, I was doing some stuff with both uh, KMC and Supro, and I was at the NAM show. And Tom saw me there, summer NAM show of 2019. And he said, I thought you retired. I said, well, I did. He said, well, it doesn't look like it to me. <laughs> and from that, we had several conversations. And if anybody's ever met Tom Bedell, you know what a convincing guy he is. So by September, I was working for Tom Bedell uh, as, the, as the director of sales at uh, Two Old Hippies for Breedlove and Bedell. And at that time, Weber Mandolin yeah. as well. And then not long after that, I want to say it was maybe in November that you came out here. You had just kind of started on. Yeah, I was I was I was still wet behind the ears as far as uh, the company was concerned. Came to visit. Yeah, I think you, guys. you were in cleanup mode from our previous rep there. Which <laughs> we, we started out as a Weber dealer. We were uh, we went to the NAMM show and it was Bruce Weber was there. And this was maybe our second or third year in business. And I'd known Bruce previously as a mandolin player so we went up got talking to him i didn't know that they were with two old hippies at that time so we started carrying weber mandolins and uh then they went through a period where the quality just kind of went down after bruce had left so we we stopped ordering them and then we went to another nam show and they had a new rep there and he was quite the uh the salesperson that was just very <laughs> very entertaining. we're not naming names by the way we're being careful here uh by the way 
I have no comments. <laughs> by the way, uh, just made a uh, stop in at the store, by the way. He is now uh, a VP of another company, which is actually pretty cool <laughs> but, to hear. But, well, we'll just say that we, we had a lot of things on order that weren't actually written down, so you had to come in and clean that up, and that was kind of our first introduction to you and John, was just kind of figuring out what we had ordered, and then that's also when we discovered Bedell Guitars and, yep. and brought those into the store, and uh, man, they, they've been a hit uh, ever since then. We've just been doing great with those and, and being a part of meeting Tom and getting to know you guys so well, it definitely feels like one of those relationships that we look for out of uh, us carrying a, a manufacturer. We don't want to just carry an instrument. We want to know the people that behind it. And Tom has been, one, like you said, he's he's very convincing but very uh, gregarious and, and, and somebody that can really passionate. help us. Passionate, yeah. Yeah, he's passionate about yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. Absolutely. He's he's the most involved CEO I've ever worked with. That's the key. Not just not just not just by tinkering with things. I mean, he's literally involved. He knows everything that's going on. He he understands the product. And, and if he doesn't, he wants to know how. I mean, I you what you say is exactly the key there. Nobody I have ever met is so involved in their own company as he is. Uh, just wanting to find out every detail of how it's done, why it's done, and if he doesn't know, he's going to find out how it's done. <laughs> right. That's pretty impressive. You know, and, and Tom and I, uh, we, we, we've actually become really, really close friends. Uh, you know, I'm we're, we're both in our 70s now. I'm the, I'm the honorary third old hippie, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, and we're and we're both in our we're both in our seventies, and you don't you typically don't make really close lifelong friends this late in life. But we actually have become that. In fact, um, our wives joke that uh, there's something wrong if we don't speak to each other on a daily basis. <laughs> I think I, I think he's a, a wonderful human. Um, I, I have told many many people that if I was ever to become a, uh, a successful a successful human indi yeah individual, I want to be Tom Bedell. Um, I definitely don't want to be Jerry, but I definitely <laughs> want to be Tom. Well, he's not successful, so that goes that goes without saying. <laughs> No. That's not true. <laughs> I love I you, love John. Jerry. There goes there, there goes there goes all your special <laughs> privileges I had been granting and recently. Yeah, it, is, it is good to have uh, Jerry on our side uh, again. As I've learned that uh, I've got three different people at uh, the two old companies or two old hippie company that I will call, and it's like John if I want to just you know do the normal stuff, and if John doesn't give me what I want, I can go to Jerry, and if Jerry doesn't give me what I want, I'll call Tom. <laughs> you run to you run to dad. All the dads. <laughs> well, Jun yeah, Tom Judy won't give me what I want, so I'm going to dad. No, it starts out. It's uh, dad, then stepdad, then grandpa. <laughs> you don't know if Tom would like grandpa. But, uh, anyway, that's it. There we go. Uh, I, I, I appreciate you calling Tom grandpa too. I, I and, and again, you know. Talking about just uh, Tom's personality, you guys, we, we had a retreat up there with another music store. We got to go up to Bend, Oregon, spend uh, four or five days with you guys up there. Um, beautiful accommodations, got to 
go through the the actual workshop, tour it, uh, pick out woods. It's, that, that's another thing where you can just see Tom get giddy as soon as you pull out stacks of wood. You know, he just loves the different tone woods. And the cool thing is, he's one of those guys. We talked about hands on. He will fly to a forest to pick out a tree that he wants. Like he'll he'll fly there and research where's this coming from. And, and we've always we've talked a lot about the sustainability that that Tom inspired with us, but also his plan with uh, Bedell and Breedlove. But the, the interesting thing is, it goes. Yeah, I, I was, yeah, I was in a boat down the uh, the uh, Amazon River and going back into, <laughs> you know, poison darts flying at my head and <laughs> walk out into the woods and I hugged this tree and that was the one. But, I don't think it quite went well, that yeah, way. That's the thing. You know, we we we, we our our guiding philosophy is that every, we're. we're we finally have gotten to that point is that everything we do is sustainably harvested. We don't do any clear cut woods. Everything has to be FSC certified. And in order to make sure that that is all true, Tom has actually been to every single one of the forests where we source our wood, the Congo river basin, you name it, yeah. he's been there. And that's, uh, that's a testament to his uh, his commitment to uh, to sus- the sustainability factor, you know. And, and the sustainability thing is one thing. Um, it doesn't mean anything if the guitars yeah, don't sound great, of course. <laughs> but they all sound great, especially now. I uh, it I love the fact that this entire company keeps growing in a way that they keep striving for more. There's so many companies uh, that we deal with uh, that are kind of like, this is what we do. This is our sound. This is what we want to be at. And that's fine. Again, I'm not saying that's bad. Consistency is a thing that we all strive for. But I love seeing people, uh, companies, uh, even and personally, I love watching a, a person who's striving to make themselves an even better uh, you know, person, better company, better product. That is, to me, the most exciting thing to see, especially as you're part of that program. And I love the fact that uh, you two, uh, well, actually, all you three, John, you and Tom, have always put us in part of that conversation of how can we be a better team? How can we do this thing and, and work together? Well, exactly. And and honestly, you know, uh, like you mentioned, John, John Peter, who's one of the better reps in the country True. for any True. product line, let alone the music industry. Um, you know, he understands what any good rep, any good manager, any good executive understands. And that is that you are part of our team. We're part of your team. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's gotta be a mutual partnership or it doesn't work. And that's what we try to foster. It's true. Yep. I thought that was, Another cool thing with Tom is we'd go out to eat and it wasn't really just, hey, I'm, I'm a very successful guy. I've done well in previous businesses and my guitar company's doing great. He would actually sit there and, and pick our brains about, well, what do you think about this? Should we change this? Or if yeah. we did this, what would you guys think of that? Like he would That's, spend the entire meal uh, trying to figure out what our opinions were. So that would help him steer his his decisions in the company. Yeah, here's here's a here's a quick uh, little, little story about, you know, there's been... Uh, from the fifties on uh, instances of companies coming from outside of the music industry and buying up companies or, or whatever. And they're going to show us how it's done, you know, because of their expertise in other places. I mean, I can go, the list goes on and on the, the most, the most glaring one would be CBS buying Fender. That makes all the sense in the world. Right? So, 
by and large, those have all been dismal failures or at the very, very least marginal success. Um, when, when Tom came into the business, he had a very successful fishing business. They had a large percentage of the fishing business in the United, in the United States. And um, so when he left, when he left that business, when he sold that company uh, and he acquired Breedlove, I, like everybody else, was skeptical about his involvement because I'm thinking, oh, this is another guy coming outside the industry, going to show us how it's done. Little did I know about Tom, though, is he actually had a passion for learning the industry from the bottom up. And uh, that's that speaks really, really well of his um, his ethics, his attitudes towards business and more importantly, his attitudes towards our customers. I agree. For those who don't know, and I, and it's funny to me that he doesn't bring this up uh, quite often. Uh, Tom was part of the Berkeley Fishing Company, and uh, you know started that with his dad, and it's it became like one of the largest fishing companies in the world. It, it they had so many brands with, uh, within them, and and it's funny in talking with him. Uh, I'm a extremely poor fisherman uh, at best. I love it financially uh, and skill wise. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but he, you know, this is a guy who had his life dedicated towards that. And nowadays, all he wants to talk about is guitars. This is it. This is what we talk about. When we get together, you'd think that we'd be talking about his past history. And no, no, he wants to talk about guitars. And that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Jerry, I'm curious. What is next for you? I know you you had kind of an original agreement with Tom that you'd come back for a couple of years and, and work with the company. What does your future look like? Are you still looking towards retirement? Well, yeah, eventually. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> I, I, I failed at it the first time around. And has, you, and has your ten, tenure been extended with, uh, with Tom? Well, you know, I found out when I, was, when, I was, uh, when I was retired for that one year that um, I still visit a lot of music stores. Now I visit music stores and get paid for it. So. Might as well take that. <laughs> So I basically do what I always did, you know. It's it's it, and I and I'm selling guitars. I'm I'm selling some of the best guitars in the world, and you know I get a I get to play these before anybody else in a lot of a lot of cases. And uh, you know it's not really like working. So plus I get out of the house quite often, and my wife appreciates <laughs> that. I imagine. Understand. I've had so many conversations, by the way. Uh, again, this is the dedication Jerry has. Uh, I've had phone calls where he was on vacation. You were out of the country once. and, and uh, Yeah, I was in Italy and you called me. <laughs> and you guys are allowed to not take the call. You know yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I always laugh at this. I've had this with a couple of them because I'm a very – I'm one of those needy uh, buyers from a, from a store where I just call all the time and, and on a regular basis. And it's hilarious to me that you guys will answer these phone calls because I'm like, you know, hey, uh, this better be good. I'm in Italy right now. And, and I'm like, you know, you could have hit um, no. How many <laughs> strings does your guitar have? <laughs> That's the question I ask. <laughs> I, was playing, I, was, I was sitting in a gondola playing a bullback mandolin at the time. 
<laughs> serenading. <laughs> uh, but I've had conversations with Jerry's wife too. As uh, also, he takes phone calls from me while he's driving down the road, and he's like, uh, uh, "My wife's listening in right now, so uh, say hi." <laughs> That's always code for don't say anything bad. Yeah, you know, I just want to make sure you keep it R or uh, G- yeah, yeah. G rated at least. You know, my wife. And my wife. I really appreciate the people that warn you ahead of time. Otherwise, <laughs> you embarrass yourself. It's happened the opposite way. I I've had that happen. One thing I do on a serious, more serious note, uh, the reason I thought it would be very interesting to have you on here is the perspective on the industry because you've been a large part of this industry for so many years. I want to know what are the differences you see in how this industry works now, and especially with the new uh, uh, companies consumer. going direct. And I'd like to have your perspective on these subjects. How has it changed? Yeah, well, I'll try to I'll try to do it. Um, in an abbreviated manner, um, you know, it, I grew up in the retail side of things. You know, I, I did what you guys do for several years, over 10 years. And when I, even today in, in upper management, I still think of things like a retailer, you know, what's the margin on this? How is this going to display you know, how am I going to present this to the end user? Things like that. So I still think like a retailer. And it kind of rankles me that that some of the, uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to make some people mad with this statement. It rankles me that some of the bigger companies are going out and competing with you. The, the, the dealers who have supported them all these years have been their outlet all these years. And now they decide to go into competition with them. Um, it remains to be seen how successful it will be. But I can tell you, we don't have any intention of doing that sort of thing. That, to me, is the biggest thing. That, well, obviously, the Internet, which is uh, given everybody a, a bigger piece of the pie if or a bigger audience to, to sell to. Um, so I'd say the Internet and uh, then the, uh, the direct sale. Uh, from uh, some manufacturers are the two biggest uh, biggest changes. Yeah, we had this conversation uh, together a few times, and one of the things we see is those two are almost, I wouldn't say they offset each other, but in one way, these uh, if the manufacturers had gone directly to consumer before the Internet, I think it would have been more impactful probably. Um, now it's almost like another major Sweetwater or Guitar Center opened up, and they still have that internet presence that they're going to be competing with so i'm not sure i it is going to have some effect but i'm not sure how much more effect it would than a very successful sweetwater coming up I, and, and competing with us i take it a little bit different than that in that i think for some stores it's going to it's going to make all the difference in the world uh, you know for uh, for for quite a few and it's also it's just going to depend on how you're able to be uh nimble enough or want to change or want to move and i you you know this as well as I do, Jerry. You've seen this industry go through a lot of changes, uh, and and we're at thirds and fourth generations of some of these stores, you know, of different ones. Mm-hmm. And it's and we're I think we're at a time period right now where a lot of these stores have gone are starting to move to, uh, you know, folks between my age and your age uh, that are starting to think retirement and is it time for us to move on? Is it time to do something different? Is it time to or make that big change to continue to to go? Yeah. I think yeah, there's a lot of that going around. 
There's a lot, I think, and this has absolutely spurred some of these these two things, both the internet uh, sales, which I really kind of happened more like 15 years ago, uh, the big boom. People started to figure it out probably closer to 10 years ago, uh, eight years ago, and figure out how to do Well, some to still haven't figured it out. Well, <laughs> we'll go over that. <laughs> we'll yeah. go. Hopefully, hopefully you guys will get around to it eventually. We're going to yeah, work on it. Yeah. We're we got a plan. We got a plan. <laughs> we are starting this new podcast. I think it's going to help with sales. Have you well, this podcast in particular, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it is going to cause either somebody to go, all right, we're, I'm going to go headstrong into this wave, or it's now time to move it and give it to somebody else. And, yeah, I think it's just yeah. another one of those catalysts for a lot of shakeup, a change in the industry. I see it both ways. I see the personal side of it, and I'm hearing this more and more from dealers, especially long-term dealers that they're like, we spent our life's blood building this company, brand. working with you, this brand for so many years and it feels like a betrayal uh personally i don't feel that i understand that but i feel like and i'm more on the marketing side of things so i feel like it's just a competition thing i feel like we can do it better in the end so i don't i'm not scared of it any more than i'm scared of amazon or walmart no, no I, and I, I i totally agree with you jason and it, it's and and while i while i don't necessarily agree with Doing there, by the way, I don't agree with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I understand. I understand the logic behind it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Know? I think the partnership, I think that's where companies like you guys uh, that aren't going to do this. I've had quite a few of our companies that are at least for the time being. I, it's hard to, to make blanket statements and say this is never going to happen. Uh, you can fight it all you want. And if it's absolutely an industry change, it's an industry change that has to be made. Sure. That said, um, this gives the opportunities to have better partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where you're going to see, uh, I know the acoustic shop for sure is going to uh, double down on these companies that have a partnership uh, where we can sit here and go, let me get my pen. I want to write this down. <laughs> that, that doesn't mean double the purchases. That just means double our, our phone calls. Oh, no, oh, oh, just in your loyalty, not necessarily in how much you're buying. Okay. I got how much we call. All right. But, but seriously, expect more uh, vacations to be in a yeah, we talked about that. I think what John's talking about is the leverage that these brands are going to have over these dealers that have worked for so long. I think they're going to lose that that momentum, and they're going to say, "Well, I don't necessarily have to be loyal to you right now because you've not been loyal to me." There's definitely that, and I think it's also going to give us the opportunities, though, to work with the companies that we do. Yeah. I mean, just with you uh, personally, me and uh, Jerry got together and we decided that we are going to with of course tom's blessing and of your your two blessings by the way uh, i'll let you know about what we're going to do later news um (laughs) i'm actually here what this is going to be about we got together and we got exclusive uh series of guitars that we're doing custom shop with custom labels that are for the acoustic shop and it gave us an opportunity to be better partners to kind of create things that we know are going to work well in our store that you guys can build to do things you know that work with us. And I think that only makes me as a buyer go, you know, to say, Hey, who's my first phone call when I got something to go at? Who's that, you know, company that I know that we can make sure something gets done with. And I think that's going to be their big differences. Yeah, I would agree. He, he's now canceled that project, by the way. Yeah, Look at him. You see the stress on his face. It sounds good. It's the first I've heard of it, but it sounds good. <laughs> it sounds like a fun thing. Now, I think in the end, it comes down to like you guys are talking about. The, people want to do business with people that they are 
familiar with and feel like they do business the same way we do. Um, and I think those relationships are where it's going to be in the long term. Um, you guys are definitely the top of that. Um, Jerry, especially, we feel like, like I said, he's a much older brother, father. I don't, I don't see. Think you have Rand. to keep saying much older. I think uh, you just say pretty obvious. he's our older brother. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's slowly more experienced yeah, much more ex- that's just another way to say much older yeah, but it's more polite, <laughs> it's more polite. I, I prefer i prefer seasoned, seasoned. <laughs> yeah, here's yeah, the deal salty. i don't think jerry's going anywhere guys i think jerry's going to be even if he does we're still going to keep calling him <laughs> yeah, exactly. on vacation just out of habit well if you if you talk to tom he kind of resents me for staying because i've Talked him out a couple of uh, out of a couple of his absolute favorite guitars that he's that we've ever built, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I'm bragging about it right here, Tom. There you, go. Uh, <laughs> you know, so if if we have if if we have something else come come out come off the line that I think is just something I might need, I might stay for another decade. Who knows? <laughs> Will work for guitars. That's basically Jerry's uh, main line now. <laughs> I think that's one of the awesome things that's come out of this. Uh, I think back to the, the time when you walked in the door with John and uh, the whole thing came about. We found the, a partner and a friend in this yeah. in this industry that you know knew the same language we did. And like I said, it's become a mentor to us in this uh, this industry has helped us through some times and gave us a lot of you great said advice. that earlier and I, I do appreciate that that I, I, I do well, it's true I mean we got to have somebody who has been there and understand we do not claim to have all the answers I wish we did and 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 if it weren't for people like you who who give up your time and uh, you know we can have candid conversations and go all right Jerry talk to me what do you think of this and truthfully you know I know what the business side of you says to do but tell me what you would do you know in here if we didn't have that we'd be in big trouble all the way around mm-hmm. um, and well you know like I always tell you John I'm, I'm long on advice and short on cash <laughs> <laughs> so here's the real question uh jerry when are you going to go back and uh bust out the banjo again and just start touring uh as a banjo player you know i actually did a banjo gig last year did you really did you bring the green monster uh no i actually played my old great lakes on that one there you go i i hadn't, I hadn't put i hadn't put spikes in my neck on the uh on the green thing yet so i had so i took the old great lakes out the old, the old bill keith special yeah, it was great banjo. I, I have the only one that's not a top tension. That's very cool. You should uh, sometime get together and talk to Jeremy of his uh, long conversations with Bill Keith and uh, the various different. Uh, you got to tell this story real quick about how you got to know Bill Keith and started talking about theory, music theory. I, we got luckily we were able to play quite a few festivals down in Florida, especially with Bill Keith. And I was just fascinated with how much he knew. I had bought one of his books on music theory. So I just kind of went up and talked to him a little bit. And unfortunately, he thought that I understood most of what he was saying. And I was really good at just nodding my head and going, yeah, that I see what you're saying, but I didn't understand a word he was saying. Like, he would, and then after that, he'd find me at festivals. He'd spot me and call me over and tell me, he gets so excited. It's like, I just figured out this new thing. And still at his age, figuring out this new way of taking theory and putting in into his playing. So if you're going out of this chord and you're going into the, the, the seventh on the, on the D and then he has this whole uh, ex- explanation why this works in theory. I'm just kind of like, 
Yeah. Yeah, that that's really cool, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was, you know, we I had him in for a couple of clinics back in the early 80s. And um you know, I I had some pretty serious banjo students at that time. And uh you know, and I did teach theory. You know, so there was a couple of them that actually knew what the circle of that they actually knew that the circle of fist was not a bunch of guys sitting around passing a bottle. But but you know, we had like we had like forty banjo players in a room, if you can imagine that. What do you call it? What, if it's a gaggle of geese, what are a bunch of banjo players? But anyway, a, a hell of banjos. <laughs> a hell of banjos. That's what they call it. <laughs> But anyway, Bill, Bill's, Bill's clinics were very intense, very intensely uh, educational. I'll bet. And um, you could you could see some of the some guys with their eyes were just glazing over because it was get so deep. Well, this is a this is a half diminished chord here going into uh, you know. They were really just glazed over because they were banjo players, but yeah. that's another thing. Uh, <laughs> can I just play a D seven instead? <laughs> so, but yeah, it, I, I know what you mean, Jeremy. It was it was fun. Uh, I, I love talking to him, but I, I swear half the conversation I was out of. <laughs> it has been great talking to you, Jerry. Uh, we appreciate you doing this. Um, we appreciate all your help and. The, everything you do. By the way, your wife uh, did kind of sneak through the door and peek her head uh, a little bit. Ago. Time's up, so it's probably time so. for you to get going. I guess <laughs> it's time to take your medicine. <laughs> I, I had to look around to see if she actually had stuck her head in. She did earlier, but uh, I won't. I, she'll tell you about it later. <laughs> she probably needed pointed at her watch. She, she was trying to notice. I was. I was so caught up in this scintillating conversation. <laughs> she was probably uh, bringing you your Geritol. It's okay. Yeah. Don't worry. Oh, oh, oh. He's going to start okay. wandering if he doesn't take his pill. So we never get him on track. Uh, yeah. You need more iron in your blood. <laughs> All right. We better let you go. We appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for doing this, hey, Jerry. Thank you, guys. I, you, you're you know, I know a lot of dealers in this country, and you're one of them. <laughs> That's the nicest thing you've ever said to no, us. Actually, thanks, thanks for your partnership, man. I, I love it. Love dealing with you guys. Love hanging out with you. Um, and and more importantly, I love the fact that you tolerated me playing uh, jamming with you. <laughs> we always have fun. Thoroughly enjoyed it. You know that it was. It is a great uh, friendship, and uh, thank you so much, Jerry. You got it, guys. Take care. Thanks. We'll All see right. you. Well, that was Jerry Lambert. Now I feel like I know him better than I I ever knew him. Exactly. It's the fun part about this is we know people, but now we know people. When you think you know someone, do you really know them until you have them on a podcast? Yeah. No. I think everybody should do that. You guys uh, who are listening right now. I've been married to you for 10 years, but we haven't been on a podcast (laughs) together. We're going to have to get our wives and children on here. (laughs) I think we should do that with all our employees, too. Um, Can you come in here for a minute? We need to do a podcast. Uh, I know we've been working together for the past five years. Hey, video person. Uh, whatever your name is person the question one who are you no we know those people that's not but yeah it was really good to have jerry on there i think i've talked about this before one of the cool things about music and the, the idea about this podcast is all acoustic music related all the different aspects of it 
just about all the friends that I can mention that I know are somehow tied. It's like that, uh, what do they call it, third degree or three degrees of bacon, where there's like three steps away from Kevin Bacon. Everybody knows somebody. more than three, but. Whatever. <laughs> However many degrees. In music, I like bacon. I'm almost like one degree from bacon. I like candied bacon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're, you're misunderstanding. Cooked, I cooked some of that thick the guy's bacon name this is weekend. Kevin bacon. It was really, it was good. Anyway, just I've about every friend Kevin's that I have is somehow music related, and it's that true. includes Jerry. Like I, he wouldn't have come into our life if it wasn't for the music store. And we've met so many Tom Bedell just in the last four or five years, and become such good friends with these people because we all have that uh, that music connection passion. with music. Well, especially with Jerry, that was an interesting thing. When, like I said, when he came into that, I remember. How he came into the store, we were all we all had no idea who each other were, and uh, Jerry comes in with this knowledge of bluegrass and and guitars and knew, all kinds of he knew history of in it, and he knew kind of us, and we knew kind of. But it was pretty funny how that just kind of developed into this whole, like I said, this uh, friendship, mentorship, uh, father, grandfatherly <laughs> situation. Great grandpa, great great grandpa. <laughs> hey, Grandpa Jerry. Will you come tell us stories yeah. about the past? He loves it when I call him Pop Pop. <laughs> anyway, it's been awesome to have Jerry in here, and the relationship we've had with the company he's currently with, uh, Two Old Hippies, is one of the best and uh, deepest relationships we've built with a company we work with. So yeah, it's true. It's exciting. Absolutely, Jerry. Jerry's a good dude, and uh, I, I wish him all the same. I wish him to have a opportunity to retire at some point. <laughs> no, no hurry, no hurry. I want him I to stick around. I, I, you know, I get things done with that. Again, guy. though, like he said, when you're doing what he's doing and loving what you're doing, and he's at a company where he's really happy right now, from what he tells us. Oh, it's pretty great. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't want to retire. I don't think. I think I'll take his job when uh, when he leaves. Though I'm going to go for that <laughs> one. More power to Good him. Good riddance. <laughs> if they can deal with you for more than thirty minutes, then they're doing better than us. Come on now. Anyway, who's the next uh, guest? I can't wait. John, John sure with the on the P- podcast. Oh, yeah, the next host. Yeah. Mm, next host guest. Um, guys, I can't wait for the next podcast. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I hope you guys are enjoying it out there. Please make sure that you rate it. Uh, Whatever you're listening, make sure you give it like a 10 stars if possible, more. Yeah, 20. And also share reviews, it with somebody else. Share it with people. We're building this thing. It's going to be a behemoth. Yeah. That's, we want to be able that. to hire people to do our home projects, so please make this a hit. Yeah. Hey, by the way, uh, I, I want to tell you real quick. Uh, my kids finally understand the graphic with the nose. It, it, hit, it hit Everett this weekend. Wow. He now understands. I still think it should have been a nose with legs. Nose people. Yeah. <laughs> nose, actual nose people. All right. Well, guys. there's always time to change. <laughs> anyway, thanks, guys, for listening this week. We will be back next week for another Acoustic Stop Note 2. Take two. Excuse me. The Acoustic Can you feel the left side of your face? Nose. Are you having a stroke? <laughs> anyway, the Acoustic Shop knows people. We'll be back next week. The Acoustic Shop knows people. Handmade by Trent Pruitt, Hinkley Hinkleston, and Jason Chapman for the Acoustic Shop. Theme song written and performed by Ofer Coran. And please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.